Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. You know, it's always an honor and a pleasure to be with you on Voice America each week because Voice America believes that information is power, the Internet is the future, and the future is now. And that's what I believe. That's what my program is all about. It's about showing positive solutions and practical principles so you can live the life that you want. And I really believe you can make your dreams come true. I've interviewed enough people over the 25 years I've been doing this to know that we can climb out of problems and we can overcome our obstacles, and we can make our life work the way we want it to. And today, that's exactly what we're talking about. My guest is Gary Stromberg. He is the co-founder of one of the most successful PR firms in the entertainment business. And the name of his book is Celebrities, is Celebrities Tell Their Stories of Addiction and Recovery. And that's what we're talking about today. And the name of the book is The Harder They Fall. Welcome, Gary. Hi, Patricia. Thanks for having me. Good. And the name of your book is The Harder They Fall, and that's how people can find you on the Internet, theharderthefall.com? You got it. Okay. And you have uh, interviewed musicians, writers, politicians, actors, and athletes who've climbed out of devastation of addiction to really reclaim their lives and to have extraordinary accomplishment. So my question is, um, why did you decide to write this? Well, that's the obvious question. The, uh, my, I should go back and give you a little bit of my background. Uh, I, I was raised in Los Angeles, and my career is pretty much in the entertainment business. I started, as you pointed out, uh, what became probably the most successful music business PR firm in, starting in the uh, late 60s. And during the, the 10 years that that company was in existence, I represented pretty much a who's who of music talent of that generation, you know, from the Rolling Stones to Barbara Streisand to uh, Neil Diamond to uh, Pink Floyd, Elton John. It just went on and on. And, and uh, accompanying my career was a, a developing a drug addiction of my own that mm-hmm. was to eventually uh, uh, pretty much dominate my life. And so I, I had a, probably a 22, 23-year career of uh, in the entertainment business and of drug addiction. And mm. I got clean and sober, uh, thankfully, in, uh, in the early 80s and have been clean uh, ever since. Mm. And I started back up in PR again when I moved to Connecticut in the early 90s, uh, where I now live. And uh, about five years ago, uh, I was working with a, my associate and she had always loved hearing my stories about what it was like in the entertainment business. Mm-hmm. She's always you know, encouraged me to write a book, and I always, never felt that I was capable of doing that. And finally she said something to me that really resonated one day. You know, she said, they, I always use the excuse that I'm not educated and I don't really understand you know, grammar, and I, I just wouldn't be able to write. And uh, she had mentioned that, you know, that they've invented something called spell check and, they've, and they now have something called grammar check. And mm-hmm. it's, that's really not mm-hmm. the hard part. The hard part is uh, storytelling. Yeah. And uh, a light well, went off. And you have amazing stories of, of all, uh, the whole gamut from authors to artists. You know, do you think that there's something in common, Gary? Now, you've, you've been with many celebrities, those who have been addicted and those who have not. 
Is there a common theme for those who turn to addictive behavior or substance abuse um, versus ones that you've seen that have not? Well, I think that's pretty much true in all in all walks of life. Yes, there's a there are t- tremendous differences between people who have that addictive gene or that addictive characteristic mm-hmm. with those who don't, and it it can run in several directions. But there are common threads that uh, that seem to exist among people who are inclined towards addiction, and that's not just alcohol and drugs too. That can be food or sex or gambling. And mm-hmm. the the the, uh, I, the thing I find very common is this idea that I'm different from, that I'm less than, mm-hmm. um, or often the the messages that are instilled in par- by parents that you're not good enough, or mm-hmm. uh, or you know that. Um, you know, these things that make us feel like we're not part of rather than belonging to. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, you know, that I, that I just wasn't, wasn't as good as my, as my peers and there was mm-hmm. something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Drinking and using drugs, you know, that there was magic. Well, thing. what about with the celebrity issue where, you know, they get all these accolades, you know, they're just fantastic, and then the performance That's is over and then they're by themselves, that sort of roller coaster. Talk about that. Does that yeah, feed into it at all? Sure. In, in, in regard to celebrity, that's a big addiction. When you're a big-time money earner like these people are, um, you are not told no very often. Mm-hmm. And you're surrounded by sycophants and people who you know, just support whatever enterprise they decide to uh, pursue, and that can include lot of self-destructive behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody's there telling you no. Nobody's telling you you can't do it because at the end of the day, you're you're providing uh, you know a living for them or you're Interesting. making. Interesting. Uh, so. so you're not always around people who are supporting you for yourself. Oh, absolutely true. Absolutely true. Mm-hmm. You know, another question, and I'm going to ask you later about individuals that you've interviewed, but sure. those people who then climb out of this, what is it that they tell you that they've done differently or how are they thinking differently than they did before when they were under the influence? Well, there's a common notion in recovery that in order to find recovery, you have to hit a bottom. In my experience, that is true. Now, that bottom is, can be elusive and, and certainly not the same in all instances. You know, it can be very different. It doesn't have to be a financial bottom. It you don't have to lose everything. But you have to hit the point where you look in the mirror and you say, gee, I've become somebody that, you know, that I'm not very proud of, that, I, that I'm not the person that I mm-hmm. thought I was going to be or want to be, and, and I need to do something. And, it's, you know, we, we commonly refer to it as throwing in the towel. You say, I've had enough. You know, I can't mm-hmm. live like this anymore. Um, and that has to pretty much happen in all instances before real recovery can take place. So it's it's not good enough to say I'm going to get you know I'm going to stop this because my wife you know thinks I ought to or my kids are you know giving me a hard time or my boss is is on my case you, you can't do it for anybody else uh, and really hold on to recovery at least that's been my experience you have to do it for yourself mm-hmm. as you've come to some kind of recognition that the game is up here I can't yeah. do this anymore. Why do you think these people, um, when you interviewed them, these famous people, decided to tell their stories to you? Yeah, good question. Um, and that's a surprising, uh, the answer is surprising to people who don't have addictions. So the, the people who are in recovery, I liken to people who survived the Titanic. You know, we were on this wonderful cruise ship and uh, having a time of our life, and all of a sudden this thing sunk. Mm-hmm. And we looked around, and we were, all of a sudden we looked around, and we were sitting in a lifeboat. 
I have no idea why my life was spared and why so many others die from this disease. And that's the case in the people that are in recovery as well. Uh, we didn't do anything to deserve particularly to be rescued or to, to find recovery, but we have it. And a, a, an axiom that's absolutely true in recovery is that in order to keep it, you have to give it away. So in order to maintain the kind of life that we have found in recovery, I have to be willing to share it and do mm-hmm. what I can to help others. So in that regard, these, the celebrities that I contacted that had these wonderful stories of recovery were not only willing but eager to share their stories because mm-hmm. they know by doing so they're, one, helping their own recovery, and two, perhaps, you know, yeah. affecting other people. That's, a, that's really very they're touching, actually. You know, Gary... Celebrities are so, as you sort of alluded to, deified in a way. You know, they're they're gorgeous. Of course, we don't see them without their makeup on. But you know, and and they make all this money and they travel and they're the jet setters. I mean, look at the whole Tom Cruise uh, thing with Katie Holmes. You know, it's just it's this this sort of fairyland world. And, and I guess my question is, are they that different from us? Um. <laughs> That's a good question also. Uh, in the, at the end of the day, when stripped of their makeup and stripped of the the, the, uh, the adulation and all, no, they're not. They're exactly the same. They possess the same fears, the same insecurities, uh, the same everything that we do. The mm-hmm. only thing is that they, they are, uh, you know, held in, in esteem and, in, and put on perches and adored mm-hmm. and treated differently. And they have, and, and the money must make a difference too. Of course it does. Well, of course it does. It, 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 you know, the, the idea that I could buy my way through my problems yes. is common in, yeah. uh, among celebrities. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Unfortunately, addiction is... Oh, I, I just wanted to say that the addiction is not a, a condition that you can throw money at, money at mm-hmm. and, and cure or solve, mm-hmm. yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Well, the only... Except that you can get really good help. You can get some of the best people in the country to help you, don't you that's think? That's true. That's true. But that's not a that's not a condition for getting into uh, getting well, it's true. Uh, uh, yeah. sober yeah. or recovered. Yeah. What did you learn most from interviewing these people? What was a great lesson that you got? Well, I think the most important lesson that I learned from this from doing these interviews, and I think the most important lesson that the book has to offer is never give up. Hmm. Never, never give up on somebody. It doesn't matter how far down the scale that they have gone and how seemingly hopeless their lives may be, mm-hmm. how much damage they've done, how much hurt they've caused. There still is the possibility of recovery. Uh, I, if I can tell you a quick story, um, I get asked what the most dramatic story in my book is often. And, All right, hold on. We're going to take a break, and then when we come back, I want to hear about that dramatic story okay. and other stories. My guest today is Gary Stromberg. He's the co-founder of one of the most successful public relations firms in the entertainment business. His new book is The Harder They Fall, Celebrities Tell Their Stories of Addiction and Recovery. Gary interviewed these folks, and he shares stories of how musicians, writers, politicians, actors, and athletes climbed out of the devastation of addiction to reclaim their lives as extraordinary accomplishment. You're listening to Positive Living and Patricia Raskin on a specially pre-recorded program. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com 
Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. What's wrong with the airlines today? Why are they all in bankruptcy? What exactly is airline deregulation? Exactly how does luggage get lost? Why can't they do something to improve the security screenings process? What airline stocks should I buy? Find out on Jack Cady's All Things Aviation, an eclectic insider's look into the airline and aviation business. From how to get through airport security quicker, the future of the airline industry, what airline hubs to connect at, problems facing private pilots, what airline stocks to invest in, how to kill time at an airport, the effect of oil prices on airfares, how to get a good seat, websites for getting the lowest airfares, airline safety, and knowing your travel rights. Jack Cady, an aviation professional with over 35 years experience, covers it all. Jack Cady's All Things Aviation broadcast each Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Jack Cady's All Things Aviation, informative insight on travel, airlines, airports, and anything in between from a seasoned professional. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with president of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel conversation at a click of a mouse voiceamerica.com hi everyone we're back you're listening to positive living and i'm patricia raskin we have a specially pre-recorded program for you today i have a, a very interesting guest my guest is gary stromberg who is the author of The Harder They Fall, Celebrities Tell Their, Tell Their Stories of Addiction and Recovery. Gary Stromberg is the co-founder of one of the most successful public relations firms in the entertainment business, and he's sharing stories of how celebrities have climbed out of the, the devastation of addiction and reclaimed their lives of extraordinary accomplishment. Welcome back, Gary. Thank you, Patricia. Okay, we're talking about um, a dramatic story of, of a celebrity who... Um, Again, climbed out of that devastation. Yeah, I was using this story to kind of illustrate the, the idea that, uh, that you never give up on somebody who suffers from addiction, that you just never know when and if someone can find their way into recovery. Um, the, the story that I was alluding to uh, belongs to a man named Chuck Negron, 
who was the lead singer in a, a rock group in the 60s and 70s called Three Dog Night. Mm-hmm. And, and Three Dog Night was arguably the most successful rock group in the world for a period of time there in the early 70s, uh, far out distancing the Beatles and the Rolling Stones even in the number of record hits that they had. They just produced one hit after another. So here was this young man in his early 20s, uh, having more fame, more money, more of everything than you could possibly desire in a lifetime, mm-hmm. and who went from that kind of pinnacle of success to living in a cardboard box mm. on Skid Row in Los Angeles, mm. uh, penniless, homeless, friendless, uh, and, and everybody that I, I represented this group during that time, and I knew Chuck very well, and everybody that uh, it came in contact with him gave up on this guy because of uh, his seemingly... Uh, uh, you know, ride towards death. Um, he went through 37 rehabs. Uh, it's probably, I don't think they keep records, but if it, they, they did, it's probably the world's record. Uh, I don't know of anybody that's come even close to going through rehab 37 times. Yet there was something deep down in this man's soul that wouldn't give up and, and eventually got it. Chuck's been now sober for almost 20 years, I believe. Mm. And does tremendous service. And again, you know, what is that? What is that aha moment? Was that when he just was living in that box, saying, "I can't do this anymore"? Yes, there was something. There was a spark that was ignited at some level that said, "This is it. It's over. I gotta. I gotta stop." Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he was he was on death's doorstep at that moment. And but was there was again, it's unexplainable how it how it happens to some people that get it and survive and others that don't. As I point out in the book, the roadside's littered with, you know, celebrities that don't make their way into recovery. You know, we all know mm-hmm. those names. Mm-hmm. Mm. How about someone who's um, a politician? Um, well, that, that, one of my favorite interviews in the book is uh, Jim Ramstad, the congressman from uh, Minnesota. Just a wonderful guy. Um, Jim Ramstad was a young state senator at the time. He's a U.S. congressman now. But he was a state senator 23 years ago and woke up from a blackout in jail after a a night of carousing at Mm. some political function, and he Mm. got into an altercation with a cop and was arrested and thrown in jail. And he woke up the next morning in his cell believing that his whole political future was over, you know, that Mm. he had had, uh, wiped wiped himself out. Um, he didn't remember what he had done, what the charges were. He was allowed one phone call, and he called his mentor, his political mentor, and uh, they had a discussion wherein the mentor said to him, listen, you know, I've known all along that you're an alcoholic, and unless you deal with your alcoholism, you are going to have, you're right, you are going to have no future. Mm-hmm. So that was his bottom. He threw in the towel at that very moment, and he said, I'm coming out and, and I'm going to claim that, you know, that I am, in fact, an alcoholic. I'm going to admit that I am an alcoholic, and I'm going to seek help. And the, the good thing, the good news about uh, addiction is that there is recovery. If you want it, there is recovery, and this man wanted it and was willing to pay the price to get it. And he's been sober a number of years. And mm. when I interviewed him, he told me something that I found really amazing, that uh, um, he, he talked about 12-step recovery as his, was the way to, that he found uh, out of his addiction. And he said, you know, to me as I was leaving, he said, wouldn't it be wonderful if our government was run like a 12-step program mm-hmm. where people learned how to tell the truth and mm. share their feelings? And, mm. and, you know, our government would be a lot better place mm. today if... if uh, Gary, what's one thing that you, as well as other people you've interviewed, do very, very differently since you've been in recovery? Ooh. 
Huh. I do differently. Well, it, it's it's not stay away from drugs and alcohol. If that's what you would guess. Um, I live a pretty normal life these days. At first, I was very guarded about where and who I hung out with and where I went and stuff. But today, the compulsion to use has been lifted from me, and I, I don't desire drugs or alcohol. I can be in a bar and not be particularly affected. I have to be. I think the thing that I do differently than, than other people is that I am always mindful that I am an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. That that's probably the single thing that defines me most as a person today is that I'm an alcoholic. You know, I'm a father, I'm a I'm a husband, I'm a worker, I'm a you know, I'm a I'm a citizen in my community. I'm many things, but m- most importantly is that I'm an alcoholic and I got to keep that uppermost in my consciousness in order for me to live in the solution that I've found in my recovery. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably different. different. Mm-hmm. I, that's what's different about recovery. Yeah, I think another question along that line is when you were in the addictive mode, as well as the other people you've interviewed, did you take things more personally? Did you spin out of control more? Did things affect you more? In other words, in the state of sobriety, do you um, see things differently? That's the question. Well, you react we, differently. We've come to learn. Uh, I've learned a lot about my disease in my 24 years of recovery, as you can imagine. And I've come to understand that alcoholics as a group and drug addicts as a group are more sensitive people. Mm-hmm. We, our feelings are hurt. Uh, we yeah. fall in love quicker. You know, we're, we are very sensitive people. So, and and ga- uh, alcohol and drugs are the gasoline that fuel that sensitivity. Yeah, so you remove that from me, and and I am not as sensitive. My feelings are not hurt as easily any longer as they may have been when I was, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in the throes of my disease. Mm-hmm. You know, there's also some thought that there, part of this is a chemical imbalance. That you know, some, some of the reason that we go for the alcohol or the drugs is because we're feeling off balance, hormonally or chemically. Uh, any comments about that? Well, my understanding is that there's there's two components that make alcoholics and drug addicts, and there's a genetic component that uh, that exists in some, not all, alcoholics and drug addicts, and then there's the environmental component. Mm-hmm. I and my uh, I don't, uh, to my knowledge at least, don't suffer from the genetic component. I don't know of of any alcoholism or drug addiction in my family, mm-hmm. um, but the, the, I do recognize the environmental component that contributed to my alcoholism. Mm-hmm. I know many people that have the gene that where it's passed on from generation to generation, and there are many stories in my book that talk about you know, people who grow up in alcoholic families mm-hmm. swearing they would never end up like their parents. Yeah. And, and sometimes um, getting tested and seeing where the blood work is and just looking at, you know, what's going on in your body as well might be helpful. Well, it, it'd be helpful in recognizing, but not necessarily in, in over, uh, not overcoming, but in, in succumbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, there are many of the people that, are, are, uh, that I interviewed in my book grew up in alcoholic families and were aware of alcoholism running rampant in their genes and in their families and mm-hmm. swore they would not, never end up that way, never liking alcohol, never wanting to take drugs, mm-hmm. and yet, in fact, they ended up exactly mm-hmm. like the, the sibling <laughs> that they hated. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go back to the interviews. We have a few minutes before break. Sure. Who is the funniest or the most moving interview for you? Well, those are, that's two different questions. The uh, the funniest, uh, well, the funniest, there's one very funny story among many, but one my favorite belonged to Grace Slick from the Jefferson Airplane. Um, Grace Slick grew up in San Francisco, the daughter of a 
fairly prominent, wealthy, conservative uh, family. And she just knew from the get-go that she was in the, you know, was taken home by the wrong parents. She had a rebellious spirit and nature that was very different from the people that were raising her. And when she uh, graduated high school, they asked her what she wanted to do, and she said she wanted to get away, uh, go as far away from them as she could. And she talked them into financing a college uh, education at a small um, New York, upstate New York uh, college um, called Fish. Finch, mm-hmm. Finch College, very small college in upstate New York. And she went there and, and lasted for about a year and determined that college wasn't for her either. So she left and kind of gallivanted around the country for a year or so, and then she ended up back in San Francisco where she joined what was to become the Jefferson Airplane, and the rest is history on that score. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, right after she left Finch, into that school uh, enrolled a young woman named Tricia Nixon, the daughter of oh. President Nixon. Mm-hmm. And upon her graduation, she obtained a list of everyone who had gone to this small school over the past five years. And one day in the mail, Grace Wing, that was her maiden name, Grace Slick's maiden name was Wing, uh, received an invitation to a formal tea at the White House. Uh, probably the last person in the world that you'd invite to a formal tea at the White House. And when she received this invitation, she got on the phone and she called her then best friend, Abby Hoffman, who is mm. remember one of the Chicago Seven, one of mm-hmm. the great radicals of the yes. 60s and 70s. And she said, guess what? We're going to the White House. So the two of them concocted this plan whereby they were going to dose the President of the United States, Richard Nixon, with LSD. Uh-huh. She said, she said I had been to many formal teas in my family, so I knew exactly how they'd be conducted. And she said there'd be a reception line, and Nixon would probably be in the center of that reception line, and he'd most likely be holding a cup of tea. And she said, I just secret the drug in my hand, and when I got up to introduce and to be introduced to him, I would distract him and just drop the LSD right in his teeth. Mm. So the two of them made this blood oath that they weren't going to be denied. They were going to do this dastardly deed, and, mm-hmm. and now the big day comes, and they're in the line, and it's exactly as she envisioned it, that Nixon's standing right in the middle of the reception line, he's holding a cup of tea, and she's got the LSD right in the palm of her hand. And they get to within 15 feet of the president when two Secret Service agents step up from behind and gently remove her from the line. And they say to her, listen, uh, we know who you are, and we think you're a threat to our president. And she looked up at him and she said, you know something, you're right, I am. And they they escorted her out of the way. Wow, so someone had told them. Yes. Yes, somebody had told them. Wow. uh, Wow, what a story, Gary. All right, we're going to take a break on that note. What a story. My guest is Gary Stromberg, and he is the author of the book, The Harder They Fall. The subtitle is Celebrities Tell Their Stories of Addiction and Recovery. Gary Stromberg is the co-founder of one of the most successful public relations firms in the entertainment business, and he's telling stories of how musicians, writers, politicians, actors, and athletes climbed out of the devastation of addiction to reclaim their lives of extraordinary accomplishment. You can log on to the Harder They Fall blog, or the Harder They Fall.com. Is that right, Gary? The Harder They Fall.com. Okay, you're listening to Positive Living for a specially pre-recorded program for you today. Stay tuned, folks. I'm Patricia Raskin. We'll be right back. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Invoke thought, feeling, and inspiration into your life right here on voiceamerica.com. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson. Echopreneur, author, and green living maven brings you an upbeat, fun exploration of the doables of living a more earth-friendly life. Kim cuts through the noise and urban myth of green do's and don'ts and shows that it is possible to live green easily. From hip organic weddings to exotic echo travel to healthy personal care products. Get the most current trends and tips from the experts for living a more planet-friendly and human lifestyle. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson. Broadcast each Thursday at Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Living the green life for a human, healthy, and planet-friendly lifestyle. If you are a self-published author or an independent publisher, you know how difficult it is to gain maximum exposure. For the latest ways to increase publicity for your work, tune in to On the Same Page with Maxine Thompson every Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time. On the show, Maxine will interview thriving independent authors and give you the opportunity to call in and have your questions answered. She will also teach you fresh and innovative ways to gain more visibility and enhance sales for your book. The printed word has the ability to record culture and make history. Once again, that's On the Same Page with Maxine Thompson, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time. Make your words count on voiceamerica.com. From our home to your speakers, voiceamerica.com. We're back. You're listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. My guest today is Gary Stromberg. He's the author of the book, The Harder They Fall, and the subtitle is Celebrities Tell Their Stories of Addiction and Recovery. Gary Stromberg is co-founder of one of the most successful public relations firms in the entertainment business, and he's talking today about how celebrities got out of the devastation of addiction, and and then they reclaim their lives of extraordinary achievement and accomplishment in their fields. You can log on to theharderthefall.com. Welcome back, Gary. Okay, let's tell another story in the book, maybe the most moving for you, about a celebrity, one of them, what they did, and um, why it moved you. Well, as I said earlier, the most moving story for me was the Chuck Negron story. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, But that's one among many. Um, uh, Let me think what's my, my most moving story. Well, Alice Cooper has a, a story that that I that I'm very fond of. You know, there's it's very hard to distinguish among these 21 celebrities which mm-hmm. ones are the best. In my mind, they're all moving and they're mm-hmm. all very interesting, and they all have an incredible arc in the story. Wherein, when they start taking drugs and alcohol, you know, they're having a good time, and drugs are making them funnier, and drugs are making them handsomer, and drugs are doing all the things that they're that they're reputed to be able to do mm-hmm. at the beginning. But eventually, if you continue using drugs and alcohol, turn on you, you know, and then, and then we, we talk about the devastation. And then fortunately, these are all stories of recovery. So I spend most of the time uh, in the interviews 
discussing how their lives are different today and what you know what recovery really means. Mm. Nobody in my book, by the way, has been sober less than ten years. Mm. So these are really about people who have reconstructed mm-hmm. their lives in mm-hmm. recovery. Yeah. And that's well, want me to pick one that I found sure. interesting? Of course. Okay. What about uh, Jerry Cooney, the former heavyweight boxer? Very good. Yeah, excellent story. Jerry, in fact, is probably most illustrative of the of the uh, the idea that I told you about uh, uh, alcoholism being genetic. Um, Jerry's father was a very tough-minded former Marine disciplinarian who just brutalized this guy. And it's hard to believe Jerry Cooney, who's uh, I think probably six five or six six mm. and weighs probably two hundred and fifty pounds, and has always been a big bruiser. It's hard to imagine anybody brutalizing this guy. But his father was as cruel as you can imagine, uh, mm-hmm. um, a, 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 a long-time alcoholic who brutalized his children. And the messages that he gave to Jerry as a young boy is that you're not worth anything, mm-hmm. that you'll never be worth anything, that you're, mm-hmm. you, know, you were a mistake. And, uh, you know, and Jerry grew up believing that. Um, and, and there was just such deep hurt and anger in this guy that as soon as he found his way to alcohol, you know, it just did what alcohol does. It eased the pain. It made the you know, it made him numb, and it made the pain go away. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was able to to uh, to at least for a while stop that pain. And although he swore he would never end up like his father, he ended up just like his father. He became mm-hmm. a brutal, you know, he became a, a mm-hmm. brutalizer of other people, and not only in the ring, but in his personal life as well. What was the straw for him that broke the camel's back? Uh, I think the recognition that he was throwing away uh, uh, one of the most unique opportunities ever afforded anybody in life, and that was mm-hmm. the fight for the heavyweight championship of the world and all mm-hmm. the, the glory and honor and, and responsibility that that position you know, uh, offered, and he threw it away because he, he was a, uh, an alcoholic and couldn't stop drinking. Uh, mm-hmm. Jerry Cooney actually trained for two major fights that I know of by you know drinking right up until the day of the of the fight. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing story. All right, let's turn let's go to the other let's go to a woman. Sure. How about um Grace Slick, the lead singer of the Jefferson Airplane? Well, that was the story I just told you about the uh the White House with almost Oh, a, oh, that, that was amazing. Yeah, that, that was, was amazing. Then let's go back to Alice Cooper because I think you were about to tell us something about yeah, that's her. A, that's an interesting story. Alice, as you, as you uh, know, is uh, one of the most successful rock and roll stars in the world. And and um, his story is that, that he was a beer drinker. And in that era, beer drinking was kind of looked on as, with amusement. No one thought anybody who drank beer was uh, could possibly be an addict or an alcoholic. Uh, yet Alice drank nonstop for many, many years. And Alice is a man. As a man, oh, yeah. Okay, all right. Alice Cooper uh, drank for many, many years and and, uh, eventually became so addicted to alcohol that his life started to crumble. I mean, he he talks about, you know, this was a a pretty middle-class, normal guy in all other respects, you know, married and had the dog and had the... But he would wake up in the, you know, in the the latter stages of his, uh, of alcoholism, he'd wake up in the middle of the night and and go to the bathroom and and pee blood and Mm. and then sneak down to the refrigerator and have a drink so he could go back to, to calm his nerves so he could go back to sleep. He'd have to drink pretty much round the clock. Anyway, in Alice's story, he eventually decided that he couldn't do this anymore, that he had to stop drinking, and decided that he would just do it on his own. He just made a vow that he was going to stop. And he tells a story in the book that I think is just absolutely marvelous about the first performance 
that he ever gave sober. Um, Alice Cooper was a character. You know, he created mm-hmm. this character of Alice Cooper, this kind of demonic, deranged, uh, uh, you know, with makeup and, uh, you know, face paint and eye makeup and leathers. And, and um, he said on the night that he was performing for the first time sober, he got to the arena very early that day because he wanted to think about what he was going to do sober. He had never performed sober in his life. And as the day progressed, he, he got progressively more and more nervous about the idea of going on stage. You know, he had no idea what, what he was going to do. And finally the time approached, you know, and he put on his makeup and he put on his leather costume, you know, and now it's time to go out on stage and do the show, and he's terrified. And as he describes in the book, the, you know, the character, you know, this demonic character of Alice that used to walk the stage kind of hunched over and, and you know, he was this real demon. All of a sudden he was, found himself on stage. He was standing erect with his chest thrust out, and he, an entirely different character took over, mm-hmm. a, a character that he had, had no recognition of previously, mm-hmm. took over his person, and he performed in a very different way, and he said the audience went wild. He had no idea where this came from, but he's performed that way ever since. The, the old Alice Cooper, the alcoholic Al, Alice Cooper, died that night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a very graphic story, and most stories of recovery are not so graphic, but Alice had a total conversion that night, the first night that he performed sober. That's pretty remarkable. Um, because, he could, the, because he could tell the difference, the difference was so dramatic in his totally performance. dramatic, in the character, not the way the character looks or anything. I mean, the costume is still the same. Right. It's the attitude of the character. Mm-hmm. He went from being this demonic victim to being this brash, bold, arrogant, um, um, you know, just very different than the, than the persona of the the old Alice Cooper. Mm, and, it, and it was instant transformation. Uh, one of the things that I find interesting in the book is the, the idea of what you're like now in early recovery, especially among artists. You know, people who are performers are people who, who you know, push the, push the envelope. They live on the edge. And most, for most, most of these people, work without a net. You know, it's a risky business being mm. a celebrity. And you're... you're you're challenging yourselves in areas that normal people don't challenge themselves. To get on stage in front of 20,000 people and mm-hmm. look vulnerable and take that chance mm-hmm. is very risky. Mm-hmm. So doing it without your medicine is a very daunting task. And mm-hmm. most of these people talk about what it's like to find their new voice in recovery. Mm-hmm. They have the belief, and it's, it's, it pretty much exists throughout with all of these people, that somehow I'm able to do what I'm able to do because, and I want to emphasize that word, because I'm high. You know, I, I take a little bit of cocaine and I go out on stage and I'm floating. Because, because the message is I'm not good enough on my own to do it because I was told I wasn't good enough. That's one of the messages, yes. Right. Or yeah. I'm not brave enough, or yeah. I'm not handsome yeah. enough, or yeah. all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. But now... Okay, so now I've recognized drugs and alcohol have done me in, and now I've got to be just me. And now I've got to get in front of that audience or in mm. front of that camera or in front of that typewriter even and, and, you know, and write my story as the, from the real, from my heart. So it takes bravery. It takes, it takes bravery to get recovery. It really it does. All right, we're going to take a break. My guest is Gary Stromberg. He's co-founder of one of the most successful public relations firms in the entertainment business. His book is The Harder They Fall. Celebrities tell the stories of addiction and recovery. You can log on to theharderthefall.com. You're listening to a specially pre-recorded program today of Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
From our home to your speakers, voiceamerica.com. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with host, entrepreneur, author, motivational speaker, corporate executive, philanthropist, wife, and mother, Luann Mitchell-Halter is an exciting and provocative look at the real world with real exciting guests and real stories of triumph and professionalism with a dash of spice sharing recipes for a better world on all the playing fields of life. Join Luann Mitchell-Halter as she and her guests uncover and expose us to our abilities to create our very own Big League MVP, My Victory Plan, Potential for Greatness. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with Luann Mitchell-Halter broadcast each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free. It's time to get off the bleachers, play the game of life, and be the MVP. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili. Radio to thrive by. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts, Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest winemakers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where women and wine angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women and Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women and Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. Conversation at a click of a mouse. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, we're back. This is Patricia Raskin for Positive Living. We have a specially pre-recorded program for you today on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice. You know, I've been doing this work for uh, five years on Voice America, now ten years on my local radio show where I live, and 25 years total. I really believe that uh, positive living and positive people stories need to be shared and that we can make the world a better place, and people really want to hear them, particularly now. My guest today is Gary Stromberg. He is the author of The Harder They Fall, Celebrities Tell Their Stories of Addiction and Recovery. Gary is the co-founder of one of the most successful public relations firms in the entertainment business, and he's sharing stories of how musicians, writers, politicians, actors, and athletes have climbed out of the devastation of addiction to reclaim their lives of extraordinary accomplishment. Welcome back, Gary. Thank you, Patricia. Okay, people can log on to theheartoftheyfall.com, and they can get your book on Amazon.com? Yes, sure can. Okay, Amazon.com. All right, let's tell the story. Um, 
maybe about an athlete that uh, that really touched you. Okay, well, there's there's one athlete that I'm particularly fond of, uh, uh, a man named Doc Ellis, who your listeners may know. Uh, uh, Doc Ellis in the 70s was one of the most successful pitchers in the major leagues, but he is known for one single game um, that is probably, well, maybe the most amazing statistic in the history of sports, and that Doc Ellis pitched a no-hitter while under the influence of LSD. It's, uh, anybody who knows what LSD is like will scratch their head and say that's, almost, that's impossible, couldn't have been done. But there is a website called urbanlegends.com that uh, debunks stories, urban legends like this. And if you go on urbanlegends.com, you'll see that this story I'm about to tell you is, in fact, uh, authenticated and true. Mm. That in 1970, Doc, while pitching for the Pittsburgh Pirates, was holed up in a hotel room in Los Angeles with his girlfriend it was his off day, and they had decided they were going to take some LSD and take a little acid trip. Um, so the two of them ingested this very powerful drug, and they're sitting in, her, in the hotel room uh, waiting for it to come on, and she's thumbing through the newspaper, his girlfriend, and uh, she's reading the sport page, and she says, Look, Doc, it says here that you're pitching today. Mm. Um, he had made a mistake in his scheduling. He was, in fact, scheduled, thought he was pitching the next day, but in fact he was pitching on this day. And now he has just ingested this very powerful hallucinogenic LSD, and uh, it was 11 o'clock in the morning, and they were scheduled. He was scheduled to pitch at 1 o'clock in an afternoon game. Not only was he scheduled to pitch that day, but they were in Los Angeles, and the team was in San Diego. So the two of them ran to the airport, got on an airplane, made it to the stadium just in time for him to get dressed and to go out on the mound and he proceeded to pitch a no-hitter, the only one in the, his career, mm. and uh, a, uh, a no-hitter that's documented to be done on LSD. As he describes this game, he, and there is a video of the game, if anybody wanted to, to see it, you can actually get the, uh, the video of this game. But he, the statistics were that he only struck out two batters and that he walked, I think, eight batters. But that he said, if you if you watch carefully, you can see me diving out of the way of line drives that I thought were hit at me, but in fact were never even hit. So here is this guy throwing 90 mile an hour fastballs at, as he says, at a catcher that I could sometimes see and sometimes not see. He's throwing 90 mile an hour fastballs could have easily killed somebody, and yet went ahead and pitched a no hitter. Now that's a very funny story, and any sports fan will take. You know, uh, it's a very enjoyable story. But I'm more attracted, aside from the uh, the, the obvious uh, amusement of that story, the of where Doc went in his life. Doc uh, Doc had a real up and down career. He was uh, one of the bad boys of sports. He was always in trouble. He was always getting in arguments with guys and. And uh, he had a really a, a rocky road in his major league career. But today, and that's really what I like to talk about in the book, uh, today Doc works as, a, um, as a, uh, an advisor at a men's prison in um, uh, Victorville, California. He's really paying back, isn't he? Boy, paying back big time. He's, he's a, uh, a counselor, a drug and alcohol counselor mm-hmm. to young men who get to talk with this and share with this man mm-hmm. on a daily basis mm-hmm. uh, his story of recovery. He's living out of the line. Like Doc spent his whole life, as he tells it in the book, you know, wanting to be famous and wanting to be a big shot, wanting to be a star. Mm-hmm. And uh, now he lives this modest life in, in complete anonymity in Victorville, California, mm-hmm. at a men's prison where he mm-hmm. shares about the ravages of drug addiction to mm-hmm. men who 
you know, as he points out, probably 95% of people that are in prison today are there because of drug and alcohol-related mm-hmm. crimes. You know, and there's a lots of denial among prisoners who, you know, think that life gave them bad breaks and that's why they're in prison, completely denying that it's drugs and alcohol that, you know, led them there. So Doc shares with these young men about his life and uh, is doing wonderful work. Uh, I got a chance to interview him in the prison and watched him, you know, do his business there and just was so taken by the effect that he has on these men. So I guess the point of this is that once people find their way into recovery, and I don't care what walk of life you're in, you can really touch so many people in such a positive way Mm -hmm. to totally, you know, clean up the destruction and devastation you caused previously from acting out through your disease to become, you know, a role model and Mm. and a very positive force in your your community. And that's what Doc's doing today Mm. in anonymity. So, Gary, if we look back on your book and on today's interview... What is the message for the harder they fall, celebrities tell their real-life stories of addiction and recovery, What's your, and of your own recovery, what's your message for listeners today if they get one thing out of this interview? Well, I said it before, and I'll say it again, that there is hope. Don't give up. That guy, who, the, you know, your husband who is totally frustrating you or your son who is totally frustrating you because he's using drugs and you think he's going to die or he's going to be in you know, jail or he's going to get... You can ruin his life. Don't give up on that person. There is hope at the end of the tunnel. There's light at the end of the tunnel um, uh, for some, not for all, but for some. Drug addiction and alcoholism recovery are for people who want it, not for people who need it. But somehow that magic light goes off in some people, and they do find their way into recovery. So don't give up on them. You know, it's as heartbreaking as these diseases are, and they are heartbreaking because they cause such devastation. I've seen so many instances of people who've reclaimed their lives and become such positive forces in countries. Yeah, and one of the things I think that you said in your book or, or in an interview, you said that General Patton said success is how high you bounce when you hit bottom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the program, oh, It's been my Gary. pleasure, and Merry Christmas to everybody listening. Thank you. And again, tell people how they can get the book. Uh, by my, uh, you can go to Amazon.com. It's order it there, or it's at your local bookstore, or you can go on my website, theheartoftheyfall.com, and order okay. it. Okay, thank you so much. Stay on the line. Well, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Next week is New Year's Day, and we're going to have another specially pre-recorded program. My guest is Herbert Harris Jr., who's a principal of the Life Institute Inc. He does leadership training, parent empowerment workshops, wealth building seminars, motivational speaking, and he really talks about how we can be. Uh, have better self-esteem, positive attitudes, communication, and self-reliance. And our topic will be a new you for the new year. And that's really what he talks about. And his book is The 12 Universal Laws of Success, which uh, incorporates personal growth into a practical self-help action approach to success. Folks, have a, a Merry Christmas and a wonderful new year. I'm Patricia Raskin for Positive Living. It's an honor and pleasure to be with you each week. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com and tune in next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, right here on VoiceAmerica.com.